So you guys are wanting something really cool. So Christy, the, the lady who does our, our children's stuff, she had these uh, cocoons, or what are the, yeah, like butterfly cocoon things in her, in her office on her desk. And I'm like, what are these? And she's all, stop it. Those are butterflies. I'm like, oh, oh, they actually hatched this morning, which I thought was really funny. I got a, I, oh, but every girl in the room, oh, and all the guys are like, oh, they didn't fall off when you did that? Bummer, you know. I got, I got a big note on my hand that says, introduce me. If you're new, you know, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the elders at Element, so hi. That's, that's all you get. I don't know what's up with you. It's like the room's packed and nobody sits in the front row. What? Sort of like, it's, it's like Jason's room. You stay away from Jason. You're, you're going to be fine. Um, if you are new here this morning, there's Bibles in the back. If you don't have one, uh, you can take one and keep it. If you forgot one, you want to use one this morning, you can grab one there. There's also sermon notes on all of the communion tables around the room. Oh, look it. Somebody shut off my fan over here. What's up with that? I don't get it. Someone's, someone's messing with my props this morning. Who are you? If you wanted to grab some sermon notes, you can go ahead and do that. Why don't you stay on there reading God's Word? We will get started with this. This is John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we thank You for sending Your Son to die for us, but ultimately rise for us. And so we praise You this morning for Your good gifts, for not only taking away our sin, but raising us to life and giving us relationship with You. Again, we ask that we would be Your children who reflect that in our lives. Amen. Have a seat. Easter is such an interesting day, isn't it? Some, uh, some of you I probably haven't seen since Christmas Eve, so hello again. I'm glad you found the place. <laughs> I don't say that to make you go, oh no, it's going to be one of those sermons, but I'm, I'm actually going to give you some good news. Uh, we're going to build on an idea that we talked about at Christmas Eve, which is the glory of God. So if you come to church twice a year, uh, you're going to get a sermon series. You're like, well, first one ever. Yes, it'll be great. Uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Um, in the early church, the birth, the death, and the ultimate resurrection of Jesus, they were always linked together. Uh, the Greeks always tended to be much more theological in the early church, and they understood what was called the anastasis, which is the day of the resurrection as a supreme Christian feast. We would call this Easter today. Now, the Roman church, they were like, yes, the resurrection, that's very important. But what they tended to do in practice, they came to actually prefer Christmas, the feast of his birth, as the supreme celebrations. Romans actually invented the whole idea of Christmas. For the Greeks, the first celebration, it wasn't even the birth. It was Christ's infancy. They actually started celebrating this on January 6th, and they called this the season of epiphany, the showing forth. And it was all about Christ's birth. And it was actually in recognition of the Persian, Persian wise men who came and met Jesus at about two years of age. So the Christmas holiday of Rome rolls all this into one event. The showing forth, the birth, salvation for all people, the mystery of Christ, God in the flesh. And then it all though went together with the resurrection and the death to make everything go together. So keep us historical and grounded. That's all kind of what we're going to deal with this morning. So if Christmas Eve is the last time you were here, just imagine I haven't stopped talking which is not hard for my wife to do. So 
This is Luke chapter 2, verse 8, and it's the Christmas story, and it says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. So this is for everyone, not just a select few. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, that's the word Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. In verse 13, Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. And this word highest refers to the heavens. So it's glory to God in the highest heavens. And on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So an angel shows up. There's these shepherds out. They're doing what shepherds do in, in the fields at night. And he makes this announcement. As soon as he makes this announcement, all these other angels show up and it's like a, like a rock concert. It's like, it's, it's like if we had places on the stage where people could hide and I said, Jesus. And all these people jumped out and went, Jesus. So that's kind of what, they're very excited about this. And what do they say? Glory to God in the highest heavens, wherever that is. And because of God's glory, that means there is peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now we could do a whole sermon series on peace and favor. Maybe next Christmas, we'll see how this goes. But today we're going to look at glory. What does the word glory even mean? Dallas Willard writes how familiarity breeds unfamiliarity, where you hear something so much it doesn't even make sense anymore. You forget what it means. Like in churches, you hear Jesus died for your sins. It's like, okay, great. We don't even think twice about that, that somebody actually had to die as a penalty for our sin. You hear the word Christian. It means so many things to so many people. You can be part of a Christian militia and try and blow things up. That's just crazy. That's just crazy. You hear a speed limit. Right? And it's like, what does that even mean? I don't know, speed limit. What, what, what does that mean? Or when you get to the idea of the glory of God. When you ask people about glory, you're, it's like, uh, you know, uh, God's glory. It's, it's, like, it's like saying ATM machine when M means machine. It's kind of redundant. We sing these songs and we say these words. If you've been in church for any length of time, the meaning seems to disappear. Glory, oh, it's like big or, oh, or whatever that is. Now, the, in the Hebrew scriptures, the word glory has very deep meaning. So if you have a Bible, open to Psalm chapter 19. If you take your Bible, boom, right to the center, you're probably pretty close to Psalms right there. So Psalm chapter 19, good place to start about glory. In, in Christmas story, glory is written in the Greek language, New Testament, but those ideas stretch all the way back to the Hebrew Old Testament in the original language. So Psalm 19 is a typical use of the word glory in the Hebrew scriptures. Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. So the heavens help us to understand this. And so it kind of actually relates to Luke chapter 2. It says, The skies proclaim the work of His hands. This would be like a beautiful night if you and your friend are walking along and it's dark, no streetlights, and your friend's looking up and you're looking down because you don't want to like stumble and fall and like hit your face on something. And Maybe you're dating a really hot chick. Okay? And she's looking up at the stars because it's pretty, and you're like, oh, I don't want to look stupid in front of this girl. Right? So you're like looking down, and all of a sudden she looks at you and she says, look up. And you look up and you go, wow. And you see the sky that is just ablaze with color, something you haven't even noticed before when you look up and you see this. And this is the whole idea of glory. Have you ever looked through a telescope? Anybody? Anybody seen pictures of the Hubble telescope? Okay, uh, this right here, this is a picture of a solar flare. Actually, it's a couple pictures. See, it's it's kind of cool. Uh, we, we talk about uh, stars and supernovas and clusters. Here's another picture. It's like a galaxy. Okay, here's, here's a picture right here of a supernova. This is 180,000 light years from Earth. 
just put that in perspective for you. Because if I said 200,000, you'd be like, I can't comprehend that. But 180, we totally get, right? <laughs> right. Okay, uh, this right here is another supernova. And I think this is so funny because, because we just, we're so creative how we name stuff. This is supernova 1994D in galaxy NGC 4526. Because we understand galaxies so well. Do you ever look at the heavens and you see the stars and you just go, wow. Glory is something that is so big and so massive and so unexplainable that it creates within us something that just goes, and we catch our breath. Deep in your bones. This is the word kavod. The heavens declare the kavod of God. It means weight. It means honor. It means significance. Kavod comes from an earlier word known as kaved, and kaved referred to a rich person who was weighted down with their gold and their silver and all their jewelry. So it morphs into kavod, which means weight and heavy and significance. The heavens declare the weight, the, heaven, the heaviness, the significance, the largeness, the abundance of who God is. It's kind of like this. This is all created things. That was glitter if you couldn't tell. And this is the glory of God. It has weight. It has significance. It does not move. That is the glory of God. The, the kavod of God is like the foundation of the universe. Kavod is like the rumble in the universe that says everything could disappear, but this is going to stay. Kavod is what you come face to face with and you realize you are very small and God is very large. Kavod is what happens when you stare at the stars and you get a proper proportion of the universe and realize that you are not the center of the universe because we all need reminding, at least I do all the time. Kavod is what you get a glimpse of when you see the heavens. Now turn to Exodus chapter 33, second book in, in the Old Testament. Moses and God, they've been having this ongoing conversation about the kavod of God. Moses has been conversing, and God's told Moses, you're going to lead this group of people. And Moses is wrestling with this idea. If I say to them, God wants me to liberate you, I can't say the, the bush that was on fire told me. You know, they're going to have all sorts of questions about this. If I just say it's me, you know, they're going to, no one's going to listen. And he says, I need something that's going to show that you're going to be with me. So they have this whole discussion about God's companionship. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 17, it says this, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. That's the word kavod. God, I want to see all of your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my, what's the word? Goodness. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness. Does God say glory? No. God says goodness. It's like, we're like, we're like huh? What, can God not hear Moses? What's up with God? Does he need to clean his ears out? What's up with that? God says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So God's response to Moses' ask is not, okay, you get it all. It's, you're going to get to see my goodness, even though that's not what Moses asked for. And then he essentially says, and you're going to get my mercy by me just showing you my goodness. There is something about God's glory that Moses cannot fully get or understand. And so God says, I am going to go easy on you and show you my goodness. Verse 20, but he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock when my glory, when my kavod, when my weight, when my significance of who I truly am passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. So God's goodness is what Moses is going to see. 
So God takes Moses, he puts him in a rock. God's kavod passes by. God removes his hand, and Moses gets to see God's back. Now, rabbis have spoken about this verse, and this is a euphemism. To see someone's back means to see the spot where they just were. So Moses says, I want to see your glory. God says, there's no way you'd get torched in a second, buddy. This is not going to be good for you. There's no way you could handle my glory. The best you can handle is seeing the place where I just was. And this is so true for us as people. I mean, God doesn't torch Moses because he is good, and he shows Moses compassion. I think that, that is awesome. I think God is like Moses. You look up, and you see the stars, and you have to catch your breath. And yet you want to see, I'm going to break this fan. All of my kavod? Heavier than a microphone, too. I, that's, that is what he says. And you want to see all of this? You couldn't handle it. There's no way you could handle this. The best you get to see is the spot where I just was. To understand the glory of God is understanding this awe and reverence and humility and knowing who God is and who we are, the proportions of his weight and size, especially in the coming of Christ. The heavens are a gift to remind us that we are not the ones who rule this universe. Uh, turn to the book of First Chronicles, chapter 16. It's like Second Samuel, Kings, Chronicles, you'll get there. So you see this whole idea of kavod of the scripture. It's brought up again and again and again. There are poems, there are songs, there are stories about this, this weight, the significance of who God is. To be reminded of proportion and size, and so you see these passages meditating on God's kavod, on how this is good for our souls. So we're supposed to share about it and sing about it, this kavod of God. It's like the writers in Scripture, they keep saying, if you lose the deep sense and awe and reverence for who God is, the kavod of God, if you lose that awe and reverence for your Maker, you will lose something of what it means to truly be human. Kavod is good for our souls. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 23, says, goes like this. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim His salvation day after day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous deeds among all people. So, at central to experiencing the kavod of God, central to that is also being those who declare it. In a good way, not a crazy way, but in, in a very good way. For great is the Lord, most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and joy in his dwelling place. Ascribe, this is give to or speak of, to the Lord, O families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. And he ends this in verse 29 and 30 and says, Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in, splendor, in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. It is established because of the weight of God. Speak of, ascribe to God the kavod do his name. You give God the glory his name deserves. Now, how, how do we do that? You know, it does, how does it actually work? Many times in scriptures, the writers tend to say you do this by living for God. And that's, again, another term in our day that's been thrown around so much we don't even know what it actually means. Today, if you're living for God, you will forward this email to everybody in your email list that says you love God. Because if you don't, you don't really love God. But if you do, you'll send it to everybody. It's so amazing. The totality of Scripture can be fulfilled by you forwarding an email. Okay. If you're living for God, you'll boycott this product or movie. Again, wow, that just totally sums up the Scriptures right there. I just, 
James, that's me being sarcastic. James chapter 2, verse 14. James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by actions, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. Now, sometimes I get into discussions with people who see themselves as very important. Some of these people are Christians, some are, are not. And those who are not, when I get in these discussions, they usually try and find a way to mock me. And they say, because they know I'm a believer, and they say, so, so what do you guys do over there at Element? And when I'm feeling particularly feisty, I'll actually say, well, we try to give glory to God's name. And then, which always brings the retort, oh, how do you do that? Which I also think is great, because they're expecting me to talk about sermons or, or music or some crazy stuff they see on TV with people rolling around or doing whatever. And so what I do is I start talking about certain things. I said, well, you know, last, last Christmas, we, we start this program called Christmas for Kids. And so we have families that fall through the cracks in, in, our, in our community here, where they make too much for government assistance, but too little to actually get their kids Christmas presents. So we do some offerings, and we get some money together. We serve these, these families that don't even go to Element. We serve them breakfast and lunch, take them shopping with their kids so their kids can have some sort of Christmas. We work with a group called uh, Community Partners in Caring, and there's some elderly people in our community who cannot get out of their homes to do yard work or really get anywhere. And sometimes they can't get out their front door because they haven't done the yard work, so it's covered in, like, weeds, and it's like a jungle. I can't get outside. So, you know, we go and we, and we help them take, you know, take their garbage away, pull away their weeds so they can actually get outside and do some stuff. So we're, we're trying to, to help certain people. This year we're trying to do this thing called the Photography Project as we get closer to Christmas where we take uh, families who are homeless uh, and, and they want Christmas photos. We're going to bring them in, get some photographers together, take family photos of them, print them, and give them to them so they can have family photos at Christmas time. Uh, we help you know, the Good Samaritan Shelter. We help the Battered Women Shelter. We, we help out the Food Bank, the Salvation Army. We do a car care day where if you don't have uh, any money and you're a single mom or you're elderly or the economic times hit you really hard, bring your car down. We will do maintenance on your car. We actually had one lady that showed up, and her, she had this truck, and all of her tires were bald, which is really cool if you're like in a race car, right, and you got like slicks, right, because you want to race around the track on your slicks, but when you're driving down the freeway, it's not so good. So we had, we had a guy that took her down and actually replaced all of her tires. It's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, we, we have gotten uh, families in Indonesia, hundreds of families, clean drinking water. We work with the group that goes and they uh, take wheelchairs in the third world countries so people who have never been able to be mobile before can actually be mobile. We work with a group in Thailand to help women get out of prostitution so they no longer have to sell themselves to feed themselves or their children. Why? God's glory. God's glory. And most everyone stops and they go, oh, okay, that's cool. <laughs> because it is. You know, because the glory of God lived out in our lives through Jesus living in and through us, that's a compelling vision. It is why I never get up here and tell you, say, just come to church every week and you've done your duty. No, no, our duty is living for God's glory outside of these walls. That is why we exist, to make a difference. It is not about us. It is about God, Jesus being lifted up. You can have everything in the world monetarily and prestige, everything the world offers here and now, but if you do not have a deep sense of God, His kavod, that awe and respect, then you are unbelievably empty. That is why when you hear certain stories, certain things inside of you just go, now that has weight. Yes, because you are encountering the kavod of God, what His glory is supposed to inspire in us to do. 
We live in a culture that is constantly changing. Our culture is like this. Entertainment Weekly actually has a section in Entertainment Weekly that, that says, in, five minutes ago, and out. Anybody uh, ever say the word radical? Yeah? A couple years ago, you know, Paris Hilton, it's all sick. It's so sick. You know, and that's like, and, and it goes out. But what our souls long for, our souls long for this. <laughs> that's what our souls long for, this thing that will not move. Glad you're not sitting there, right? You're like, you're like oh, crap, here comes God. <laughs> That'd be a good reaction, too, actually. We, we are people who, who look for this unmovable rock. We are hardwired as a people for kavod. We are hardwired for it. And I am not trying to over-spiritualize this at all, so don't, don't think I'm doing that. But it seems the more we focus on ourselves, the you know, it's more we do that. We'll put up more neon signs. We'll put up more strip malls that seem to block out the heavens. We put up street lights and security lights and parking lot lights. And all these things get so bright that we no longer see the stars as they sing about God. I was talking, the week I was writing this, I was talking with this guy who happens to be an atheist. And he keeps telling me how there, there is no God and, and religion is the problem. And I said, I pretty much agree with you that the religion's a lot of the problem out there. But we differ in our solution. I said, you believe that man is the answer. Well, I believe man is the problem because if there is no God and man made up all of the religions, that just proves that man is the problem. And I said, the solution to the sin problem is Jesus. It is not us. Our glory is so temporary, yet we shout at the stars, we block out God's glory, and we wonder why we feel so alone and depressed. We are so busy, and yet we are so empty because we are missing that which we were created for. We are missing a profound sense of the kavod of God, the glory of God. So you guys following me? Okay, open to Psalm chapter 8. Now, it isn't just that God has weight and significance. It is what God has done with his weight and significance. The Jewish strand of this idea becomes so different than every other view in the world. God's kavod is something you see the people in Scripture wrestle with over and over and over. And in Psalm 8, this is what the writer says. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So it starts with God is God. You are not. Don't forget that. That's the best place to start. Okay? From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens uh, and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place. And then he talks about human beings. In verse 4, he says, And what is man that you are mindful of him? the Son of Man, that you care for Him. You have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned Him, these human beings, with what? Glory and honor. I mean, that is an amazing statement. God has kavod, but He has crowned human beings with kavod. God has placed His glory upon mankind. God loves people, not just the ones that agree with you. God loves people. Why did God give His glory to mankind? Verse 6, You made Him ruler over the works of your hands. That's creation and created realm. You put everything under His feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. So the text tells you that God has given mankind glory so we can properly create, manage, care for, participate in this world that God has made. God has given us kavod so we can accomplish this task. And we must learn to be a people who look at how God has made us and wired us and then places in communities and how this all works together to display God's glory. 
all in honor of Jesus. All these gifts that God has given. Again, this is why certain stories evoke such emotion in people. Because it has weight and significance. People honoring God with the kavod that He has placed upon us. Everyone has been crowned with kavod. The problem is what we do with God's kavod. We further the kavod of God, bring Him glory, or we try to bring our own glory to ourselves. In Jeremiah chapter 2, you see that Jeremiah starts struggling with things that prophets struggle with all the time. They have a complaint, a charge against the people. In Jeremiah 2.11, it says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. And this is God speaking. It says, But my people have exchanged their glory, and this would be their glorious God, the God of glory and honor and majesty. My people have exchanged their uh, glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. He says, My people have been crowned with my kavod to do such wonderful things in the world. I held on with that time. Such wonderful things in the world, and yet they have exchanged their glorious kavod like God for idols. And yet, my people, they could be so much more. Turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 14. That's kind of where we started. This is kind of the lament of the prophets because, because they talked about, you know, God has placed his kavod on people and they missed out on all that God intends because they change it for a life of their own making. Luke chapter 2, verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest. Now, the word here is not kavod because that's a Hebrew word. This is written in Greek. So the writer has to decide, okay, I need to explain this so people understand it. So he has to find a word that's going to kind of work for this because the Greeks would not have understood the word kavod. So the word the writer uses here is the word doxa. So it's doxa to God in the highest heaven. The word means thoughts or opinions. So there's God's doxa of things, the way that God sees things. And the way that God sees things is the way things truly are. Now, in the Old Testament's kavod here, it's doxa, God's true thought and opinion about something. How God sees things is how things really are. We, on the other hand, we get off base all the time. I mean, we actually think that suing people is a way to get rich. So we run around hoping something bad happens to us, but not too bad so we don't get maimed for life, but you know, bad enough that we can sue somebody and make some money off it. It's just crazy. Our view all depends on how we are feeling, how we are thinking. If we're angry, do we wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Our thinking shifts. Our doxa is all over the place. Eventually, this view of doxa in regard to God came to mean God's unchanging essence. God is who God is, who God has always been. He does not change. He does not shift. And the way God sees things is the way things truly are. So, we become a people who read Scripture. Jesus comes and he lives and he dies and he rises from the dead and we become a people who are invited to also see the things the way God sees them. I mean, we may get confused about this or not understand that or the timing of whatever and then we are to stumble upon the heavens and the stars and go, it is so beautiful. And we stop, we take a step back and we realize in a moment that God is eternal. Are they killing kids? No, they're doing Here's some rocks, kids. No. And we realize that in a moment when we see this that, that God is eternal. That God is eternal. And that He has placed glory upon us. God has weight. And we can begin to be a people that can see things the same way God does. And that is God's glory. Doxa to God in the highest heavens. 
And when we see this and it's lived correctly, if we actually live for Christ and give our lives to Him and, and, and we give God the kavod, do His name, when that's done correctly, it translates into on earth peace to men on whom His favor rests. Why does Christmas and ultimately Easter move us? Why are people nicer in December and, and sometimes today? Because whether we admit it or not, something in our souls reminds us that God has crowned us with glory and honor and we know we were made for more than this world tries to sell us. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the kavod, the doxa of God. We live in tension of who we could be and how we have messed it all up. You know, how, how we've used our thoughts and our tongues and our ability and our words to malign God's kavod and stain His image in us. Our actions have bought us into the trivial and the meaningless and the things with no weight. And this translates in how, how we treat people around us and our families and ultimately how we treat our great God. Yet the power of Christmas and of Easter is that we know we need saving when we're totally honest about it. Jesus came in birth, he died, he rises from the dead to restore us from the ways we have fallen short, to crown us again with his presence and longs to lead us into the life that he intends. Christmas and Easter reminds us that God has not given up on his people. He has not given up and he wants to rescue us and he wants to redeem us and give us new birth. And today, of all days when we remember the resurrection of Christ, we are invited to experience the kavod of God to be crowned as his child, loved and restored, experiencing the dokes of God and peace to whom his favor rests and see the world as Jesus sees it. Every week, uh, if, if you're new, never been here before, every week I invite you guys to communion. Communion is the place where you take that cracker which reminds us of, of Christ's body which is broken for us, so you break the cracker. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us so that we can again be a redeemed people a people who can reflect truly God's glory and honor in our lives because it is not our glory. It is His glory. He doesn't save us because we're so glorious. We're terrible. But He saves us because He is good. That He is good. So this morning, I invite you to take communion. Remind, the great, remind yourself of the great gift that God has given to you in the salvation that He has offered to us as a people. The band's going to come up and they're going to do a couple songs. And as they do, we, we invite you, as they sing these songs, to take a moment and say, God, I am sorry when I have stained your image in me, when I have taken glory away from you and tried to point it to myself. Teach me to point glory to you. The first song the band's going to do is actually called The Doxology. It's written hundreds of years ago. It says, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Doxology. You know, study of glory. It's, it's an amazing title. Uh, hope, hopefully you guys are like, Oh, yeah, I heard this somewhere when I was like five. We're going we're to worship God through prayer. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, if, if you're like, man, I have, I have like totally stained God's glory image in me, pray with them. They'd love to pray with you. If you don't know who Jesus Christ is, great place to start. Okay? Pray with them. They'd love to pray with you and introduce you to Christ. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes in the sidewall and in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us. And so every week we give you the opportunity to give because giving is part of our worship. And we worship God through fellowship. There's food and coffee and a whole bunch of sugar stuff in the back just get you all amped up and then send you out in the car to drive somewhere, I don't know. Uh, but we do that so that you guys can get to know each other so you can hopefully connect with some other people because this whole idea of God's glory and His image in us and, and you and I reflecting that, a lot of it also comes down to doing this as a people, loving each other. I mean, Jesus says, people know you're my disciples by how you love one another. So you know what? We actually need to know one another in order to, to love one another. So we try and get an opportunity to do that. It's all part of worship. 
Our God is good. Very good. You know, Christ, you know, dies, raises from the dead, and enables us to have a relationship with Him again and truly reflect His glory. So I invite you, starting today, to do that. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, uh, for your glory that you have placed upon us that many times we don't even think about, that everything that we do is either maligning you or giving you honor. And I ask that we would be a people who learn to truly honor you. To let go of ourselves and all the ways that we try and gather glory for our own name and begin to point everything to you where everything should point to begin with. God, you speak creation into existence. And sometimes I think it's easier than people because creation doesn't fight you like we do. So remind us today, deep in our souls where we are moved of your glory, we ask this morning you would show us your goodness and your mercy and your compassion by directing us to be the people you call us to be. And I ask that we would live in your strength so we can live that out correctly. Thank you for rising from the dead, saving us. Amen.